I was just like, you have to laugh at this situation. How many people do what you're doing right now? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Tea with the Morale Queen, with me, your Morale Queen, Millie Armstrong Clark. This week, I am talking to the lovely Laura Polacco. She's so interesting. She acts, she models, she does photography. What can't she do? She does a bit of everything. And she's so determined to achieve her goals, which is really refreshing and lovely to hear. And I feel like anybody that listens to this podcast is just going to be like, yeah, I'm just going to go out and achieve things I want to achieve. Because she's so uplifting and uh, passionate the way she talks about everything, everything that she does. Um, also, I think I'm going to move to Japan now because she's absolutely sold it to me. Um, if, if anybody is seriously thinking about moving to Japan, um, she said she is open to um, people contacting her via a website or an Instagram to learn more about the really nitty gritty details you need to know before you go. Also, um, she does photography, like I say, if you were thinking about getting some professional headshots, head over to her website. And if you just want to have a nosy at her amazing pictures, head over to her website. I'll put the link in the description. Here we are, Laura Polacco. Welcome to the show, Laura Polacco. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh. The first podcast I've ever done, so this is fun. Oh, good, that's nice. Well, hopefully by the end you'll want to do more and it won't put you off. (laughs) Hopefully, yeah, this could be the start of something. (laughs) It's absolutely boiling here today. Yeah, I've not really left my apartment very much and I've had all of the windows sort of like wide open and even then it's just humid, isn't it? So it's just no escaping it, even in the shadows it's just stuffy. Yeah. Have you got any pets? I don't, know. No, I've not oh. had to deal with any of them. Oh, because I was just going to say, I've um, been worried about my dog all day. Cause she's been oh. fine, but I've been... She, every time I looked out the window, because I've just been lying on the couch like an absolute beached whale, not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been like, get in the shade, and then squirting her with water, and oh, it's too hot. What kind of dog have you got? Um, golden Retriever. Oh, okay, so quite quite a lot of fluff on there. Yeah. I mean, she, yeah. she'll lie in the sun panting and you like, you do know you can get in the shade and there's water right next to you, but... Yeah. I <sighs> always really worry for um, uh, flat-faced breed dogs in this in oh, this weather. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a... I, I think all dogs are lovely. I just... Um, I get worried for flat-faced breed yeah. dogs. I mean, they are... Yeah, they're lovely dogs. It's not their fault, but... Um, no, it's our work, fault. <laughs> yeah, I work in a vet's and... Um, that yeah we see a lot of like breathing problems with them so yeah this sort of heat i'm sure people oh little tip if you have got pets i got one of these cool mats from pets at home absolutely brilliant you don't even put it in the fridge you just they just keep cool and then i've been lying on it (laughs) (laughs) it's for dogs but so there's an advert for people too people head to pets at home (laughs) cooling mat (laughs) i should get sponsored by the cooling mat company it's amazing um have you got a cup of tea are you too hot no i have got a cup of tea i was considering you know a glass of wine or something like that but i'm so sort of sleepy because of the humidity that i thought that will be the end yeah that will that will be what tips me over into dreamland so i thought a caffeinated beverage oh, would be good. appropriate and plus they drink tea in very hot countries anyway because actually yeah. it's meant to cool you down yeah i've heard that um i don't i don't understand the science but apparently um, yeah i don't in my dad always says like in, in like places like india where they eat a lot of like hot curries and things that they mm. have tea because it's meant to make it not as hot i don't know I don't know what it is. Maybe it's to. I'm by no means a specialist in any field of sort of human biology, but um, I think it's something to do with like if you sweat, it causes you to cool down. Something like yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah. Yeah, and so it helps to cool you down more. Yeah. Um, So. I know. I always say this to my other half, and he's like, "It's too hot for tea," and I'm like, "It isn't. It's never too hot for tea." No, well, I'm doing all right with it. I'm just sitting here sipping my cup of tea. So if you hear loud sipping noises, it's that's me sipping my tea. Yeah. <laughs> what sort of tea do you have? 
Yorkshire. Oh, good. Yes, I am a Yorkshire lass and (laughs) there is nothing better than Yorkshire tea. I have it wherever I live. I had it when I moved down to Cornwall. I had it shipped over when I lived in Japan. I had it brought to me when I lived in Malta. It is the only tea to drink. Yes, old Yorkshire tea. that's exactly what I think it is. See, I should be getting promoted to, <laughs> to be getting paid yeah. to promote the tea. <laughs> it is the best tea. I mean, there are really others is. that are all right. I like them, but yeah, you can't beat it. Oh no! What? How do you have it? Um, I have it with a little bit of milk, not too much. Don't want it too milky, and I do have a spoonful of sugar. I know there'll be plenty of people that will be gasping. At <gasps> sugar. <laughs> Oh, it's not proper Yorkshire tea if it's got sugar in it. But I just, I just quite like just a little bit of sugar just to sort of sweeten it a little. Yeah, I used to, so I can't claim to be pure. I used to be on the sugar, but, <laughs> but yeah. Now I think it's one of those things when you have it, you can't imagine not having it, and then when you yeah. stop having it, you're like, how did I ever have it? Well, I mean, I give up, I do Lent, and um, not for religious reasons, I sort of do it for willpower reasons every ah. so often, and also I decide maybe it's good to just not have any snacks and crisps and all that for a bit, and um, so I do that sort of Lent where I give up all chocolates, all sweets, all sugary cereals, biscuits, crisps, ice cream, sort of basically any kind of unhealthy snack goes, including my spoon of sugar in my tea. Oh, really? And so I do, like, I, and I can drink it, and it doesn't bother me that much. But as soon as that's over, I will go back to just putting the sugar back into the tea because it's ah. just the way I prefer it, I suppose. Do you feel a bit weird then when you're not having any sugar at all? It doesn't taste as nice, but I'll still drink it. Because I get a bit, um, do you get a bit shaky when you have like lack of sugar? <laughs> I get hangry. I mean, I don't know. I do sometimes wonder where I get like very... I get, you know, not eating for a while and I get a bit dizzy and I'm like, yeah, oh, maybe I'm on that. a sugar low or I'm... Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not not that I'm diabetic or anything like that, but yeah, um, no, I do same. get sort of dizzy and sort of feel slightly faint, and I'm like, oh, it's my blood sugars. Yeah. And again, no human biology knowledge behind that. I just start oh. go, oh, it's been a while since I've eaten anything. I'm hungry and I'm yeah. feeling faint. It's my blood sugars. I must yeah. go eat something. <laughs> no, I'm the same, but it's not even that long. It's like three hours, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> three hours. Oh God, when they're fainting. Painting oh. level of hunger. <laughs> I know it is embarrassing, but I feel like some people, because places I've worked before, do you know, when they're like, oh, you can go for your dinner soon, you can go soon, and then it keeps getting pushed back and pushed back. And I get, oh, one yeah. time I worked in a cafe and I got to the point where I was like, I, I actually need to eat right now because I'm going to have a breakdown. And then they were like, you can go in a bit, you can go in a bit. And then I just started crying. I was like, I really need to eat, please. <laughs> Oh, I've seen that work on mass. I worked. Um, I did some extra work for a film in um, Malta. It was sort of a, a biblical based film. It's not. I mean, it's not going to be. I don't think it's going to be released to cinemas because it was run, as I realised halfway through the shoot, by the Mormon Church. Ah. Um. Yes, yeah, so that was quite oh, fun right. to realise mid midway through yeah. filming. I was like, Oh, who's this for? Where's it going? Is it Amazon? Netflix? <laughs> Who, like, who is who is broadcasting this? And I was like, oh, it's um the leaders of the Mormon Church have had it commissioned for the followers. And I was like, oh, oh okay. Right. But it was being done, you know, proper full-scale filming, um, lots of extras. And the director kept wanting to do this one shoot, one this one shot over and over and over and over again. And he kept pushing back lunch for the extras. And we wake up at about 3 a.m. to get to set, to get into costume, to get into makeup, to have breakfast, oh, to gosh. then be ready to go to start shooting around about 6 or 7 a.m and so we have breakfast about 6 a.m ish and then um and then we don't we didn't have lunch until like 3 p.m oh god all of these extras like there must have been a couple of hundred of us were all getting so like hangry so you got about two to three hundred extras just getting hangry and just hating the director (laughs) at this point (laughs) oh no i couldn't deal with that no, it was exceptionally hot as well. Even though it was only February in Malta, we had a, an unexpected heat wave, and we're in these huge costumes. Some of us, like I was wearing a skirt that was very, very thick, double layered, that weighed about seven to ten kilos, and oh, God. um, and also unfortunate for me, it was that time of the month as well. So on top oh, of even worse, on top of the heat and 
being physically uncomfortable and feeling a bit faint from that in the first place we then you know had this huge period of time they brought us snacks like the crew were being lovely about it they were being really understanding that the extras were like struggling in the heat and without having had proper food for a while so kept bringing us like little nibbles but yeah that was oh and trying to get into a portaloo which is like the toilets (laughs) that are available for extras in this huge skirt to then do what girls have to do when it's that time of the month it's probably one of the most undignified experiences of my life oh no oh no that sounds like a nightmare (laughs) it was it was i i took it all with humor yeah i took the whole thing with humor i just laughed at it um i mean i was getting the humor was starting to become more difficult to pull the more tired and hungry i got but i just i was just like you have to laugh at this situation at what point you know how many people do what you're doing right now (laughs) it makes a good story anyway when when you're in an awful situation afterwards yeah it is it is it was very funny it was was, (laughs) You know, it was very funny. And, you know, I let the, I'm let. i not a shy person when it comes to letting people know that, you know, oh, I have to deal with this issue right now. And <laughs> this is what's going on. I'm not shy at all. Like, why should I be? Yeah, it's exactly. a natural yeah. thing. So I let the crew know what the issue was. <laughs> and they were like, oh, okay, we understand. And they would like, you know, some of them provided me with paracetamol and stuff Aww. like that throughout the day. So I was looked after. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, because you mm. forget about, um, when you're watching a film, you forget about the extras, don't you, and what they might be dealing with on that day. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, and I'm not saying, like, you know, I'm not saying extras are professional actors in any sense, but extras have to act. Oh, you yeah. know, I think I watched Jesus get crucified, like, 30 times, and every single time I had to sort of, like, make, I think the first few shots, I made myself cry in the background, so I was just there, like, <laughs> imagining that, I was like, I must, you know, I follow this man, I worship him, and here he is in front of me, and it's unfair, and I'm crying, and, and it, you know, by the end of the day, I was exhausted, oh, like, 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 physically and yeah. emotionally exhausted from having to be that upset for so long and I don't even know whether I'm even going to make it into the film if they caught an angle of me and that's but that's what extras you know yeah extras do have to act as well that's good though that you're putting everything into it because I bet some people are just there like oh pretend to be sad and you're like really throwing yourself in who is that one extra just crying <laughs> in the background <laughs> oh and there's a lot of waiting about isn't there from what I've heard of like extra mm. jobs. There is a lot of waiting about. You are probably you are waiting more than you are filming. Ah, oh, yeah. There's a lot of just yeah waiting to be told what to do. Yeah, I bet it's fun though. Um, for the most part, it is. Especially when you work with quite a few extras, you get to meet lots of people, and the other extras are usually you know because of what their job is. A lot of other extras are very open friendly people who you know they're all doing it most of them for fun because the pay isn't enormously great um especially like if you you can have extra especially in the uk you can have extras i've got a friend who's an extra and he's done firearms training and he does he can drive in films so he gets paid a lot more if he's doing work that requires firearms and stuff because he's had to pay for training to be a firearms specialist and so you can create almost a career out of it if you, you know, you train yourself to do horse riding or you, if you get yourself certain skill sets. But, um, but most people are just sort of, they use it to supplement their income. Maybe they're other actors who have, you know, try to fill their spare time being on big movie sets and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. It sounds, that sounds really good because um, you do other th- uh, things as well, don't you? Uh, do photography, modelling. I haven't modelled in a well. I say I haven't modelled. I've been doing a self-portrait project at home, so I have been modelling for myself. Yeah. Um, but I did a little bit of modelling at uni because my course was fashion photography, and so I was a photographer. And occasionally, friends would use me. Um, there were some girls on my course who were absolutely gorgeous, and they got used all the time in everyone's photos to the point where I was like, okay, we've seen this person in like <laughs> yeah. twenty different shoots now. They were like the Cara Delevingne of campus. They were in every uh, single photography yeah. shoot. Um, that wasn't me. <laughs> but um, I was in a couple and I did the student runway and I did model for um, a hair salon. Um, one of the girls in the year above me, she was the photographer for the hair salon sort of like new lookbook. 
and I had my hair done professionally Ooh. and those images were used on the hairdresser's website and it ended up in a few hair magazines and I found oh, myself on good. Pinterest ah. when trying to look for new hairstyles. Uh, I typed <laughs> in say, shaved uh, shaved sides and I'd had shaved sides with like this like faux hawk oh. basically and um and I was like, oh, my God, it's me on Pinterest. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, I'm my own Pinterest, which is amazing. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. And could you see that people had pinned it to their board? A couple have, yeah, but um, I can't find it anymore. I went back and I tried to type the search parameters in again, but it was a while ago, so it probably just hasn't been used um, in a while. It's probably not as relevant anymore. Oh, but it's on my website enough. because on my I have a website with all my acting, photography, modelling and journalism um, on it. And the modelling section is in my performance part of my page. And I've got the images that I've taken of myself, but also that other people have taken of me uh, on yeah. on there. Oh, so it's good. it's there as well. Yeah, well, you've got to just build up your portfolio, haven't you, for things like that. So it's good that you can do it yourself to get more <laughs> pictures. It is it is a bit difficult because I have to do a camera. I have to I use a lens where it has to be a certain distance away from me. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, so I use a portrait lens. So I've got a Canon. I've got a Canon camera. It's not the best DSLR. I would love a new one. I've got a Canon 550D. I've had it. It was my first DSLR that I got when I was sixteen. Um, at uni, I used like the 5D Mark Threes and and the sort of the full frame um, Canons. Yeah. And. Um, but coming back to using mine is it's a bit of a step down and I do sometimes get frustrated because it doesn't produce as brilliant quality as I would like that I got used to at yeah. uni but um and then I use a, a portrait lens which is an 85 millimeter um I think it's a 1.8 um 1.8 um lens and it has to be a distance away from me so what I have to do is I set up the camera on a tripod I set up um, a backdrop and the seat that I'm going to sit on. I then put an object on the seat that I can focus the camera on at a distance. I set it to a timer. I run back to the seat. <laughs> I get myself as close to like where that object was. And then I wait for the photo. And then I go back uh-huh. and check to see if it's in focus. So it takes oh, wow. a really long time and yeah. it can get quite stressful. But when you get a good picture out of it, it's sort of a lot of fun. Yeah, well, you can't tell that you're having to do all that, which I suppose is the beauty of it, isn't it? That you you can't tell. Looks just so like literally like effortless, but you yeah, don't you, realize what goes on behind the scenes. It's a bit like it's the swan analogy, sort of from the sort of plain view of it, it looks very graceful, but you dig a little bit deeper, and it's just legs frantically swimming through <laughs> all of the stuff in the in the lake <laughs> yeah. it's just all of this obstacles that you've got to get through and you're just frantically kicking through them but the image that's presented to the world is a really nice one yeah no they're really good pictures um having a, a nosy um and because i know what you mean about um when you use the cameras at uni because i did a media course as well i did um wildlife and media so a lot of it was filming and taking pictures of wildlife um and uh, yeah i had like a rubbish little camera and then I, when i used the ones at uni i was like oh, why can't this be mine because <laughs> it's way better yeah i know but then I'd... it's tough isn't it when you go to uni and you've got all this really cool equipment oh, and yeah. you get used to it and then you're thrown out into the world afterwards and you don't have it anymore yeah i know you do get used to it and then I'd, i was thinking recently i don't know how i did it because i didn't have a car and i used to go off borrow all this camera equipment all these massive heavy tripods and things and then go off like carry it out and it was really heavy and i used to just go about on my own with it all and it was like some of it's massive isn't it big lenses and things when you have to carry sandbags to sort of prop the tripods safely so they don't blow over or don't get knocked over and those things are really heavy like photographers have to be fit yeah (laughs) just to carry the equipment yeah it's good to appreciate the effort that goes into these things isn't it yeah because a lot of people you know you think fashion photography you think oh they must be really glamorous and they have this like loft studio or something and it's like no it's me looking like a pack horse mule you know (laughs) getting up at god knows what hour in the morning dragging myself through a pond or a field or whatever yeah um quite often you know poor model is freezing cold i almost gave one of my models pneumonia oh, um, no. 
was really bad. I told her to wear more underneath the outfit. I did say, put on some thermal stuff underneath. And she was like, no, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> and then we went to the middle of the um, the moors and it was February and it was freezing cold. And I probably pushed her to stay out longer than <laughs> she should have done. And she ended up actually being off school. This was when this was in secondary school. She she was off school for two days with a cold. Oh, no. <laughs> and we just sat there like, oh, I've no idea why she's ill. I didn't know that she'd been off until like a week oh. later when I heard from heard from her and she's like, oh yeah, I took a couple of days off, and I was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. Oh, no. It was freezing cold. Like I was wearing full ski jacket and like gloves, and I had to take my gloves off to deal with all the camera buttons, etc. Oh, yeah. And you know, I couldn't keep the gloves off for more than like a couple of minutes because my fingers were going so numb that I couldn't deal with the controls. And this poor girl was um, Amy. As Amy, hi Amy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> she was like basically wearing nothing. She was wearing, well, she wasn't even wearing an outfit because I just fashioned a garment out of sheets. Oh no. And yeah, and oh god. Are <laughs> they good pictures though? For what? For my level, skill level at the time. Yes. That's oh, all right then. I mean, I look back on them now and I think the concept was great. The makeup and hair and the model was great. Amy's absolutely stunning. And, um, you know, you know, the setup is great. Composition's good. But I would have done such a better job had I, you know, had just a little bit more experience with the camera, a bit more knowledge, a better editing knowledge, um, better equipment as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you look at stuff back when you were younger and you're like, oh, like bless yeah <laughs> oh, oh bless, bless me trying yeah. as hard as I possibly can with limited equipment and knowledge and still just going for it anyway yeah um and I was just gonna say as well you're um it might put people off that story but I was gonna say that you're available <laughs> for headshots aren't you for um comedians. I promise people who I would do headshots <laughs> with that that is not what I would be doing with you um <laughs> Yes, I am. I actually, um, I'm only going to be up north for another few weeks. I've had to um, set my sights on moving because I've been living with my parents during COVID Ah. and they've just sold the apartment of what we're living in. And it's possible that we're going to need to move out of it um, by the middle of next month. Um, And so I'm moving down to London um, I'm currently looking for a spare room down there and oh, for a job. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, yes, for the next few weeks, I am available for headshots. I can do headshots for actors. Uh, if you need a new LinkedIn headshot, if you want, if you're a comedian. Um, so yes, I did um, Saul. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I took photos for him. Really um, good I pictures. recently did an actress um, in Sheffield, Rachel. I did her headshots. So them, I'm currently in the middle of editing those. And yes, so yeah, I, I need to promote myself a bit more. Um, but I've just been so consumed with the fact that I've got to move and job oh, searching yeah. that I haven't. I probably will start promoting myself again once I'm back down in London. Yeah, um, and probably more work down there, I'd imagine. More work, but more competition, ah, I think, as point, well. Yeah. But um, my rates are pretty reasonable. Um, I think. For someone who has a degree in photography yeah. and uh, can edit as well as I can, um, I think my rates are very reasonable. So yeah. I like to think that I'm there for actors who are sort of maybe just starting out or who are getting their first set of headshots. Um, so yeah. I'll put the, um, the link to your website in the description anyway, so if anybody wanted to have Thank a look. you very much. All right. I'm, yeah, that would be great. I do need to update my website. Um, it's got headshots on it, but not using my new portrait lens. So the headshots that are on there right now, um, I took with a different lens, which is fine. It's a standard lens, but it's not as good as, um, you know, for a portrait as using a proper portrait lens, which is what I have now. So within the next, I'm hoping by the end of this week, I will have those new images using my new portrait lens, which uh, yeah. is much better suited for headshots. I'll have them yeah. up there. Yeah, well, that'll be good. So, at the minute, whereabouts are you at the minute? You're in Yorkshire. I'm in West Yorkshire, oh, um, yeah. on in, in Barkisland near Halifax. Ah, right. So, yeah. I can travel to places like Manchester and Leeds. Oh, that's um, quite handy then. Yeah, relatively easily. Um, 
So that's where I did Seoul. I met Seoul in Leeds City ah, Centre. Yeah, they um, are good pictures. Thank you. Yeah. I was very nervous, though, because those were the first ones that I did here in the UK with that new lens. And so I was... Ah, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, again, like I said, I have a degree with photography and I have been taking pictures of other people abroad. But coming back to the UK and sort of, sort of promoting myself here for the first time, I will say I was quite like, oh, God, I, I hope I'm doing a good enough job. Oh. Well, yeah, I think um, I was talking about this on an, on another podcast episode. Do you, do you ever experience um, imposter syndrome? With oh, things? God. All the time. All the time. I have a very weird relationship with myself in that sometimes I think, well, I look at things, I'm like, oh, I could do a good job of that or I could do a better job of that. Like, I look at something, I was like, oh, God, I could definitely do a better job than that. Yeah. And I... You know, I think if, if I was doing everything for free, I think I would feel confident in everything I do. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's the moment when, like, people start paying you for it, I get really nervous. Um, mm. I don't know why that is. I think I've got, like, an anxiety when it comes to, like, money. Um, because even though someone could be expecting the exact same from you for, for paying you as they would for free, for some reason I'm just, like oh god this is you know a job and I'm getting paid for it I need to make sure it's I'm doing a good job yeah and it just sort of it does make me feel more of an imposter um yeah than when I'm just doing something for free when I'm doing something for free I'm like oh I can do this no problem this is easy I can boss it like not a problem I'm doing a great job yeah and I'm um, the same and I think a lot of women the more women I speak to and they're all really talented, all in different ways, the ones that I've had this conversation with, and they all get it as well. And it yeah. is, I know what you mean about the money thing. When, if somebody asks me how much they owe for something, even if it's just like something tiny, I'm like, oh God, I can't, I can't even charge them five pounds. I'm not worth it. <laughs> I know, yeah. I've been having this conversation with my, my dad. My dad's very sort of business-minded, and he's been trying to get me to understand my worth, shall we yeah. say. Um, yeah. And I actually, I've got a mentor as well who's helping me with jobs in London that could pertain to my, the fact that I worked abroad in Japan and that I would like oh, to continue yeah. that connection, um, potentially working in jobs that are to do with cultural promotion or, um, you know, promoting art and design from Japanese designers here in the UK, um, building those kind of networks, um, which is something that I would love to do very much. The problem, that's the problem. I've got too many things I want to do too much. I'm trying to figure out what my priorities are. Yeah. But um, he said that something really interesting when I talked about applying for stuff and looking at the job specifications and what they want. And I always think, oh, I don't meet all this criteria. I can't possibly go for this. They, you know, they wouldn't even look at me. I don't have this many years experience. I don't have this skill. And he said that um, on average, men will apply for jobs even if they don't meet like 50% of the criteria, they'll still apply for it. Whereas women will only apply for it if they meet 70%. That's funny. I've heard the, the same thing. Yeah. Criteria. Yeah. And um, somewhere I used to work on, they're doing like a like, welcome to the job type thing. And uh, yeah, they said that. They were talking about like, applying for jobs and things. And yeah, that's crazy. I think it's it definitely a, a more women that get it. I don't know why either. Like I'm, I, I am I'm a woman um, and I would say that I've definitely always been more confident than most other women and girls growing up for sure like I was definitely the Hermione Granger type character yeah. in my school I'm not just that I was the smartest by any means but I was the most kind of like me 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 pick me I know the answer I know the answer um, much to um, the uh, teasing that came with, along with that I was a teacher's pet as well I was very <sighs> I'm very scared of being told off so if I thought something was wrong I would never snitch on people but um like if a teacher didn't show up to class I would go and find the teacher because I was so terrified of being involved and being told off oh I know what you mean yeah so I got really bad, I got really badly teased and um uh not just a little a little bit got at for being that kind of person um so but I was very kind of like I was never shy about showing off in school and I I like to excel and I like to try my best at things and I noticed that other girls my age, especially when you're quite young still, like when you're, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 even, other girls my age, they were good at stuff, but they always downplayed it. Yeah, 
I didn't like, know what you mean. It, it wasn't attractive to show off that you were good at something or to be proud in it or to simply just say, yeah, I'm awesome at that. Um, we had this girl who was this amazing jumper. She would do like triple jump and long jump. And she was, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for being humble, but she would just downplay it all the time, even to the point where I noticed girls were deliberately messing up in order to not seem like they were trying to show off. Mm, yeah, I can imagine what you mean, yeah. That's and interesting. It was, yeah, it was very bizarre. And I, and I have been raised by two parents that have very much encouraged me to go after what I want. And I've definitely quite, um, if we're going by what society views as sort of like masculine and feminine traits, I'm definitely more masculine. Mm. Um, very, I like leadership roles. I'm quite authoritative. I am quite divisive, no, not divisive, decisive. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, and I like to get things done efficiently. And I'm always about, you know, making sure people have a say and have a word, but I like to cut through things sometimes when it's getting too messy because everyone's trying to get their voice in. I like to just cut through and be like, right, we, we need to just decide something now. Yeah. And oh, those are all really sort of quite masculine apparently according to society masculine traits and and I still fall prey to this lack of confidence when it comes to asking for what I believe my worth is in terms of you know payment of things compared to men I don't understand why it's seen as a masculine thing though because uh, do you know what annoys me when men sort of lead men they like leadership roles they're seen as like um, you know, good leaders and oh, we should all listen to them. But then when it's a woman, I hate it when it's seen as bossy. When it's not, it's the oh, same. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I feel like women get yeah. called bossy more when they're just strong, independent women yeah. taking well, charge. It's the way, I mean, I took English language, liter- English language A-level and there are genuinely more ways to insult women just from a language point. Mm. And there are more derogatory terms that are aimed towards women than there are men. There's like, uh, I can't remember exactly, but there is a substantially more words that are meant to put down women than there are men. Yeah. And a lot I of imagine. those come around being bossy or being, um, you know, too much. I've been told that quite a bit, that I'm too much. Or, oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose... Yeah, I mean, it is hard. I do try and make sure that, you know, I'm listening to other people and I try to make sure that I'm not taking over too much um, because I'm very, uh, I'm highly, highly organized when it comes to sort of reaching a certain goal. Like if we have group projects, I'm like, right, we need to do this, 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 and this, and these are what we need to do to achieve the goal. And okay, so who wants to do this? Who wants to do this? Who wants to do this? And I like to give people like, you choose what you want to do when you choose it you do need to do these things yeah um and um well, i'm that's quite not a bad thing that's good it's it's not a bad thing at all but obviously you know sometimes i think i have quite high expectations for what i expect to be done and then especially god especially in a student environment where like you just know that 20 percent of the group are going to do nothing yeah I know that is frustrating if when yeah. you when you put in a group of people that yeah just slacking off and you're like oh no yeah you'll get a few people that will will work hard in a group and then you'll get at least two or three people who like for my in my case like they turned up to the shoot they took a couple of pictures and then that was their contribution and then they sort of like try to claim group credit for mm. a project and it's like no but you didn't do anything <laughs> you yeah. just came took the camera took a couple of shots and no go away (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh dear you mentioned before that um that you that you lived in japan briefly is that right yes i lived in japan for two years i lived in kanagawa prefecture which um so they in japan they call them prefectures a bit like how we call uh we have counties yeah um and so i live in kanagawa prefecture which is next to Tokyo it's to the west of Tokyo it's got a very long shoreline along it so it's by it's right on the edge by the sea um and so as a lot of Japan is um you know the way Japan works for a lot of it is that you have these basins and then you have mountains 
um, because yeah. Japan has, I think it's like seventy percent of Japan is mountains or something oh, like really? that. Seventy percent of Japan that. is uninhabitable, uninhabitable yeah. in terms of the terrain is just too mountainous. And so Kanagawa was a sort of basin that you come down from the mountains and you, you know down towards the sea at the front. And it was where I lived was fantastic. I, I could get into Tokyo in like forty minutes on the train, uh, central Tokyo. And oh, that's good. Yeah, and I was near this other place called, um, as part of my prefecture, there was a city, Yokohama, which is the second biggest city outside of Tokyo. And that was that was lovely, actually. I sometimes preferred that to Tokyo because it was a lot less busy, a lot less packed and really pretty. And then there was also the historic area of Kamakura, which is a bit like how when people think of Kyoto, like old temples, old shrines, that kind of environment, that's like Kamakura is like that on a smaller scale oh, that in nice. that prefecture and it's, that's by the shoreline as well and it's it's absolutely stunning and it's just dripping in history and um little restaurants and eateries and these little boutique shops and souvenir shops and gift shop it's so i wouldn't say quaint is the word but it's just so charming oh nice that sounds good and... i've never been to japan that sounds lovely oh my god yeah well i am De- I'm dealing at the moment with reverse culture shock, which is what a lot of people get. You, when you move somewhere brand new, you get culture shock. Mm. But then when you move back, what a lot of people don't always realise, especially people who you're coming back to, like friends and family coming back to, what they don't realise is just how difficult reverse culture shock oh, is. Right. So I've been dealing that. with that. Because after Japan, I moved to Malta, where we have an apartment. My dad's Maltese. I've got family over there. We spend a lot of summers there. Yeah. Um, I moved to Malta for uh, what I knew was going to just be a short while, but I thought it was a good move. It made sense. But Malta is almost the cultural opposite of Japan. And I struggled so much dealing with not only moving to a country where living there and working there was a a first for me, but also something that was so, so different from where I just come from that I, in the first couple of months, I was really struggling. And then... I've come back to the UK as soon as coronavirus sort of became a massive issue and I was like, I can't stay in Malta, I'm going to get trapped here. Oh, yeah. um, you know, and God knows how long this is going to last. And so I decided, and my parents are both like, you should come back to the UK, we can support you through this. Um, oh, you know, if good. you're in Malta, we're not sure you, we can support you as easily. And I'm like, this is an emergency, so you should just come back. Mm. Um, and I booked a flight one day and the next day I was basically gone. Um, and I had to leave without saying goodbye Aww. to a lot of people That's and really which was, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. I felt it was so bizarre. I just felt like I was fleeing, um, oh, yeah. which in a sense I sort of, I sort of was fleeing, yeah. but, um, like I, I got a job the week before I had to go, I got a new job over there. And I remember leaving, it was in the center city of Valletta and my last couple of shifts there before I left, I would come out at the evening and it would be dead. And that place is always, always vibrant, always full of people, full of life. The streets are full of people visiting restaurants and stuff. And I came out those last couple of times and I was like, oh my God, it's empty. This is so, so weird. Oh gosh, I can't even imagine. I've been out in the countryside, so I've through lockdown I've hardly seen anyone yeah um, so I've not experienced being in a city but I bet it's really eerie it it was so yeah it was so bizarre um I think I, I recorded it just on my phone just just the emptiness of it oh, and yeah. then and then I came back and I had to self-isolate anyway because I came from a different country uh, yeah. and while I was self-isolating that was when the lockdown rules came in place so I was like oh well I've already been in for a week and yeah and then I've basically been here ever since and I've so I've come back to the UK after not living here for two and a half years but I've not really come back to the UK because mm, you know I've seen it I've not seen it I've mm. not experienced it I've not had a job here yet I've not I've just about visited a few friends I've been into Leeds city centre once to do to, to meet and photograph Seoul oh really oh um, not much is it no it's mm. It's not really, you know, it's not really living, is it? And I'm yeah. sure a lot of people feel this way with, yeah, with coronavirus that it's, 
it's not really living properly it's It's not experiencing life when you're just trapped in i I feel like i've not done anything this year it's odd i know i'm super i'm i'm one of those people that unfortunately and please anyone listening do not do this like i (laughs) this is not a good thing to do but i i like judge my work based on how productive i can be yeah i've been talking i think that's another um thing that um, women struggle with as well Mm. um the more i've just i've been speaking to a lot of um quite determined women recently um following the career girls and things and yeah it's really hard to get out of that mindset isn't it to be like no i can i can just do things as a hobby um i don't have to get paid or somebody tell me it's good but yeah you do feel like you need like validation yeah I think that's where I'm struggling actually I think everything that I do I feel like it could be a job or could be a career and it's tearing me apart inside because they're all they're they're all sort of related to the arts they're all within the artistic creative department there's photography there's acting there's you know any kind of performance really um and then there's the fact that I like the arts in Japan so I would say at least I'm within the creative arts branch but you know being an actor and being a photographer they're different things and I want and I, I don't know it's like I feel like I'm not good at properly good at any of them until I have them as a career and at the same time I want to keep my connection with Japan and promote Japanese culture and understanding it more and learning Japanese more um yeah that's really good and it's good to be into a lot of things though I, feel like I know but the pressure to sort of want to be great at all of them and want to be recognized yeah. at being great at all oh, of them I know what you mean is a lot of pressure for someone to put on themselves and I'm 100% self-aware of this but it doesn't stop the anxiety or the confusion that I face trying to yeah figure out what you know what is a hobby and what is a profession and what do I want to get out of them oh, i know what you mean it is confusing but it's yeah it's not a bad thing to have a few different things on the go at once well Especially i'm applying for jobs it. in all the fields and whichever one basically comes back to me and you know offers me a job that yeah <laughs> the soon the quickest is what i will do for the next you know however many months yeah oh well, that's it's good to be open to new things coming your way isn't it that's good yeah i think I think at this point in time, I think all of us really have to be, um, have to become more flexible. Mm, yeah, I know, because another thing I've realised through lockdown, um, people that thought they had um, secure jobs all of a sudden don't have a job. And that's yeah. quite scary. So it's good to have a few different interests and different skills to adapt. Yeah, I mean, I feel terrible for people who have had fixed jobs for so long and they you know they've got people they need to support like Mm. I I mean my situation is not fun for me but at least I don't have to support anyone and I don't have to be in one place I don't have to pay mortgage I don't have to um you know I'm not tied to anything specifically so I can go wherever I want to go I can go back to Japan at you know at the end of the day um, as well and I know that there are jobs over there that I can I can earn money and live back in Japan, but I feel for people, I feel so, so bad for people who, who are fixed into places, who have people to support, who have mortgages, mm. and then they've gone, you know, they've lost their jobs, and those jobs might be jobs they've been doing for years, and they don't know what else to do. I think it's just, it's just a desperate situation. Oh, no, it's horrible. That's really scary. Yeah. Um. So, on a lighter note, did, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a, a morale boosting story that you'd like to share? Something nice that's happened to yeah. you? Yeah. Um, I've got a couple. I've got yeah. one that I, where I felt like I helped someone else, and I've got one where I felt like other people helped me. All right. So yeah. I can give them both to you yeah. if you want, and then you can decide which one you want to. That's cool. Keep yeah. In. Um. So yeah, there was this one time I was back for Christmas holiday 2018. I was back um, for Christmas and I knew this was gonna be the last Christmas I was gonna spend with my granddad because uh, he was very, very old and very sick. So I made sure I came back. And I had I went to go meet a friend and I had to get the buses. And I had a mobile phone, but I didn't have an English SIM. I had a Japanese SIM, so I, I was basically useless. Mm. 
Um, I was on the bus using the bus Wi-Fi to keep in contact with my friend and I had to wait at the bus station for him to come pick me up. Um, but once I got to the bus station, there was no Wi-Fi. I couldn't call him. It was starting to get on in time. I wanted to find out where he was. And I was I was quite worried about my situation. I was looking around thinking, like, oh, God, will any of these people like, let me borrow their phone to make a phone call? And there was this older woman sat away from me on the other side um, of the chairs. And I was like, she had a phone out. So I was like, oh, she's an older woman. She looks somewhat approachable. I'll go ask her if I can borrow a phone. So I went over and I was, I'd just come from a party. I was like decked out with these like high heels and everything. <laughs> and I went over and I said, um, excuse me, I'm really, really sorry to interrupt you. Um, I, I really need to phone someone and I don't have an English SIM in my phone. I can't make any calls and I can't connect to any um, Wi-Fi or data. Would it be possible to borrow your phone, please? Just to make one phone call and it's going to be a minute and I can give it you back. And she was like, and then she said something that I was not prepared for. She said, um, she says, oh, I'm sorry, but um, I need to use my phone and I don't have much like minutes and data left. She says, my husband just died oh. and I have to make phone calls to all of my children and oh, no. I don't have enough minutes to spare. And I did not know what to do in that situation. I was just like, oh, uh, I'm, I said, I'm so sorry. I'll, um, I'll, I'll leave you be. I'm really sorry. Um, sorry for your loss. And then I walked back. And then I turned and spoke to the man who was next to me, who gave me his phone, very disgruntled. And I was just like, dude, I just need your phone for like one minute. I was like, what am I going to do? Run off with it. Have you seen my heels? There's no way I could run away from you in these heels. Um, but he gave it to me and I made my phone call. And then I kept looking back at the woman opposite me. And at one point I just saw her just sort of, she just looked so, just so obviously sad. Aww. And she just looked like she was going to start crying. And I was like, I cannot believe that this woman is here by herself and her husband has just died. So I got up and I went across to her and I just sat down and I just said, would you like some company? And she said, um, yes, that would be nice. And we just talked about her husband and she said she was getting the bus because she's like, well, I now realise that I'm on my own. And she said, I want to be independent by myself. I don't want, you know, I want to be able to know that I can do things by myself now. So getting the bus home is the first thing that I can do by myself. Aww. And I was like, oh my God, that's, I mean, that's amazing that she, it's so sad, but it's amazing that, you know, she is well aware now of what her position is and she's yeah. pushing herself immediately after her husband's death to be independent. Yeah. And we talked a bit and I talked about how my granddad was sick and how I was scared that he was going to pass away soon. And we talked about her husband and then her bus came. So we must have been talking for about 10, 15 minutes. And then she got up to get on a bus and she was just like, thank you for taking the time to come over and talk to me. And I was like, you're absolutely welcome. I'm sorry that you've had such a, a sad day. And she, and she said, well, thank you for coming and, you know, talking to me and, you know, distracting me a little bit. And then I gave her a hug Aww. and she got on the bus and, and left. And I just sort of sat down after that and I just felt so... Like, I felt happy that I could have, you know, that she wasn't completely by herself, mm. that I could have offered her some, you know, company. And I was so in awe of her, oh, of what yeah. she was trying to do. But I just, I felt so, so, so sad as well. It was just, this, you know, this poor woman has just lost someone that she's loved and lived with for so long. Oh, and, yeah. it, oh. you know, it made me think about my granddad and, you know, my gran and, and my friend came to pick me up and I was just I was just like, oh, God, I really need to sit down and have a cup of tea and a biscuit after that. Oh, yeah. Um, but that was just one of those human interactions with a complete stranger that I think I'll always, always remember. Oh, that's lovely. That's really yeah. sad, but really lovely that you yeah. were there to, to just be with her in that moment. Um, yeah. And you just, yeah, just little things like that, just saying to someone, do you want to have a little chat? It can just give you that yeah. little bit of hope that people there are nice people out there yeah I'd like to think that someone might do the same for me it's just so weird on this you know very significant day in someone's life yeah. that you're just a weird part of it you know yeah, and you're not prepared for, like you said you're not prepared for that no. sort of <laughs> I was not prepared for, you know I went over to ask about if I could borrow a phone I was not prepared for that to be mm. what came out of that and it, um, and it just shows like you can 
you can get wrapped so wrapped up in your own things um and obviously your situation was a, a big deal as well but you can you can get wrapped up in your own head i can about tiny things oh, yeah. just day to day then you meet someone you're like oh why was i getting so stressed about that thing when this person's going through all this on their own yeah it's just yeah just about helping each other that's yeah. really that's really nice I think it's good to keep things in perspective sometimes. Like I said, you know, I've been stressed about my situation, but I'm fully aware that I'm not in the worst situation. But you also don't need to feel guilty about feeling upset or bad That's about true. the situation. Yeah. Like if it's upsetting you and it's stressing you out, it's valid. But oh, I think yeah. every now and then it is good to just just take a couple of minutes or just take a moment to just to, to put it in perspective occasionally. Yeah. No, that's a brilliant um, way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wasn't meaning that anybody's oh god no were... <laughs> I wasn't saying that you were but yeah yeah everybody's feelings are valid but always take time to think of yeah. others that's really yeah nice. I think it helps you de-stress as well or it just yeah. helps you just sort of or try and just be grateful even if your situation is stressful be grateful for any of the positive aspects of that situation mm. oh um, yeah definitely you know like for me this is stressful but I'm trying to think of it as like well you've got a almost a clean slate to work with you're going to move to a new place you're going to make new friends you're gonna you know start a new job that might be interesting mm. so yeah you do just have you sometimes just have to find the positives in in even difficult situations oh, yeah, you do. definitely otherwise you'll just let it overwhelm you when you can't you can't let that happen because that road is not a good road oh that's true and you, did you say you had another story about was it somebody helping you yeah so this yeah so this is a time someone helped me out when I was in a difficult situation so this was around about so I moved to Japan in September of 2017 and the first few months they're difficult it's a transition and um I think by January um so just a bit of context most uh i went with a company called the jet program and it hires thousands of people from across um english speaking countries such as america australia the uk canada even countries such as um trinidad and tobago um and uh you know basically if you speak english as a native language you can be hired mm. um and they all go over to Japan and they're spread out across Japan. So there's, there are these AL, these jet participants all over Japan. And in some places there are less than others. Now it's very common in the big cities that you get a couple of hundred of them and they create a network and they're friends together. Oh, right. My situation was very, very different in that even though I was in a very pop populated part of Japan, very close to Tokyo with a big city in my area, um, there were only two. Uh, jet participants who were assistant assistant language teachers and there were only like three others who were working on government projects and I was feeling very isolated I had to basically travel like an hour or so to meet anyone oh, so I was gosh. feeling very very isolated and my co-worker at the time for her own reasons completely I do not think she was you know she's a lovely lovely girl but she wasn't engaging with me very much. And I was trying to arrange for us to go to the cinemas or go have dinner and it wasn't happening. And I was feeling very, very isolated mm. to the point where I wasn't even having any physical touch from anyone. And oh. it had been like weeks, if not months, where the only physical touch I was receiving was when I went to my MMA classes. Oh. And, you know, and then you're fighting someone. He was, <laughs> the teacher was lovely, really sweet guy, but, you know, it's not the kind of, it's not assuring, it's not a hug, it's yeah, not, you know, yeah. an arm around the shoulder, it's... And I was feeling just a little bit, not homesick for the UK, but I was missing my, like, my connection of friends. Um, I was missing, you know, the kind of communal feeling that I'd had at university. And I was definitely feeling down. And my supervisor was the most wonderful woman. Um, her name was, um, uh, so her first name is Junko and her last name is Takatori. So in japan you go by their last name oh. so she was takatori-san and oh. she will always be takatori-san to me um and she was an absolute delight of a person like the most energetic positive bubbly individuals and she came around to my apartment to help me fix something and she saw how sad i was and how i was struggling to make connections 
And right there and then, she must have just simply texted her husband. She was like, oh, me and my family, we're going on a, a ski weekend in two weeks. Do you want to come? Oh, wow. And I was like, really? And she's like, yes, yes, yes. We have this place. You can come. We will give you ski gear. We will give you, um, we will take you there. We will um, get book an extra room at the hotel. Oh. If you just pay us like 10,000 yen for the room, you can come. She's like, we will get you ski. Like, we will book you on the tour and everything. Oh, wow. And she, she did. She, so she took me on the ski weekend and it was amazing. And her family and her family friends that came, it was a whole group of people. They were so wonderful to me. They were so, um, they engaged with me. Even the people whose English was not very good, they engaged with me, they communicated with me. You know, she hugged me um, and the kids were lovely. And it was just a period of time where I felt so isolated and so kind of down. You know, this wonderful woman whose only job was to make sure that my work life and my apartment was going well Mm. she did not have to include me in this this is not part of her job description but she just did oh that's lovely and she continued to do those kinds of things for me for the rest of my time in japan like she'd invite me around and we'd do cooking sessions in her house and i would cook meals for her and her family and we'd have barbecues and we'd climb mount go mountain climbing and she was just again she was just such a force of positivity that I will forever be grateful for. Um, And that weekend just meant so much to me as a foreigner living in a foreign country um, with, you know, no immediate friends or family. It was, it was just the, it was just what I needed. Oh, that's so nice that she wasn't even asked to do it. She just saw that you needed it. Yeah, she just, oh, it's almost making me cry thinking about it. Cause I'm, like I said, I miss Japan so much and the people there so many of them i mean again not all japanese people some of them are too scared to talk to foreigners um like you'll try and they just they just don't want to engage because they're scared of not communicating properly with you but so many of them will go out their way to help you out when you need it and um she was just yeah i miss her as well like so much so i think you're gonna go back over and see her at some point um yeah i was trying to go over I was hoping to try and actually get a job that would get me over there before January, but um, no companies are hiring from out of Japan because the borders are still closed and uh, we don't know when they're going to open. Yeah. But um, I have a course at the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School starting next July, um, postponed from this year. And basically I was like, if I go to Japan, I need to go back for at least a minimum of six months because of how long it takes to get the visa sorted into uh. Yeah. And so I wanted to go over in January, but that doesn't look like it's going to happen. But now I'm thinking that um, I will probably go over for a visit maybe around March time when the cherry blossoms are out. Oh, um, and I will. Yeah. And I'm going to try and potentially look for work so that when my course at Bristol is finished, I will move back to Japan. Um, potentially. I don't know. It's that's yeah. like almost a year away. And I don't know how things are going to work out in the near future. Mm. But it's it's a goal at the moment that I would like to go back and um, reconnect with the people that I've met over there and get involved in a more artistic job, you know, working in the creative industry over mm. there. And yeah, yeah, you've got so yeah, many a... exciting things coming up. <laughs> yeah, really if I can good, make yeah. them, if I can make them happen, oh, yes, sure you will. That sounds Thank great. You. Thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for that. In particular, it's just the next month or so. It's going to be a bit. Ah, yeah. That's but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, what my brain says when I try to think about it. It yeah. just goes. Ah. <laughs> oh, it sounds really good. Oh well. Um, I'll yeah, like I said, I'll put the link to your website up on the description if anyone wants yes. to have a look at, at your you. amazing pictures. And thank uh, you very much. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like I've talked quite a bit, but I think that's, that's the point good. of a podcast. Yeah, if, it'd be awkward if you didn't. Be... Yeah, if there's one thing I can do, I can certainly talk about yeah. myself and what I've done for, for forever. No, that's Not always really a positive, good. but I suppose in a sense, maybe it is. That's exactly what I wanted. And hopefully <laughs> it's inspired other people to think, yeah, I'm just going to go for these things and, 
and to help people when yeah that's yeah. really nice but yes if anyone so yeah as well if anyone is interested in moving to japan or is considering a program such as the jet program or teaching english abroad or would like to know more about how to move to japan please um, reach out to me on on instagram uh, reach out to me through my website and i will do whatever i can to help you out um, if that's something that you would like to do or you're thinking about yeah. and i will give you a brutally honest sort of uh, appraisal of what it's like <laughs> to live there oh, and what good. to expect um but also all the positives that come with it as well so oh, i would really be happy nice. to do that for anyone who and also if anyone wants headshots get in touch with me as yeah, well definitely. before i move to london yeah <laughs> oh thanks a lot it was really lovely chat and lovely stories Yes, thank you so much for having me. This Aww. is such a wonderful thing that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Just my little lockdown project while I can't yeah. do comedy. Well, it's great. It's it's such a good project to do. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I'll see you later. Thank you. See Bye. you later. I look forward to listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this week's Tea with the Morale Queen with me, Millie Armstrong Clark, who you can find on Instagram at Mill Comedy. Thanks to my guest Laura this week for joining me. It was a lovely chat, really uplifting, and absolutely lovely morale boosting stories at the end there, which literally gave me goosebumps. It was so nice. If you would like to see some of Laura's work and find out more about her, you can look at Laura Polacco on Instagram or laurapolacco.com If you enjoyed this episode, please share and subscribe and tell all your mates. And for now, go stick the kettle on and I'll see you next time. Bye!